Hi, everyone, and welcome back to Therapists in the Wild. Last week, we talked about the different components of emotions, and we focused in particular on the emotion of shame. And so we just wanted to share with you that before grad school, Liza nor I, neither of us were familiar with how to identify shame in our bodies, despite the fact that obviously, like most people, we experienced it. Um, but we were lucky enough to have trained and learned DBT under Dr. Shireen Rizvi, who has researched and written about shame extensively. Yeah, she, she taught us what we know about shame, and she also has taught us, among many other things, about the importance of distinguishing between primary and secondary emotions, which we covered last week, and which we'll review in a second through our homework examples. Um, go back to last week's episode if you missed the in-depth explanation because we spent quite a while on it. But, you know, just to very quickly review, it's the idea that primary emotions are adaptive and appropriate to the context. So such as feeling embarrassment when you make an illegal left turn while you're driving, whereas secondary emotions are kind of feelings about feelings that we sometimes quite automatically experience instead of primary emotions based on our individual learning histories. So what that might look like in practice is anger toward the other drivers on the road when really what you're feeling as a primary emotion is shame. So again, just go back to last week's episode if you missed it so you can learn more. Yeah, that was a, that was a great recap. And this is such a complicated topic. I feel like it took me a really long time to understand how to distinguish between primary and secondary emotions. So we'll continue to- I'm still learning it. (laughs) Yeah, for sure. And so we'll definitely continue to weave those topics in throughout our conversation today and in the coming weeks so you can, you know, further understand um, those distinctions. Yeah. Um, Yeah, and then quickly before we get into our homework review, we just wanted to let you know that we do have an Instagram and a Facebook account, and both of them are under the name of our podcast, Therapists in the Wild, so feel free to check us out there and follow us if you want to stay up to date and informed with news about our episodes and anything else we have going on. Yeah, and if you're liking the podcast, we hope you'll consider leaving us a quick rating or review, as we've mentioned we really want to reach as many people who need these skills as possible and so rating and reviewing us will help us just become more visible and continue to grow our listener base so we thank you for that yes all right so let's get into our homework review how did it go for you this week liza practicing um, either identifying the different components of emotions or kind of distinguishing between the primary and secondary emotions yeah so (laughs) You know, one thing we briefly touched on last week and I think could elaborate more on is in addition to this being a difficult concept to understand primary versus secondary emotions, it's also pretty hard to practice because secondary emotions are so automatic. And so it really Mm -hmm. can be hard to catch yourself in the moment when you just, you know, when we experience an emotion, we just think, okay, that's the emotion I'm experiencing. It takes a bit of a reminder to think, okay, but is it really this or maybe Mm -hmm. is it something else? It's really hard to do that in the moment. It's yeah. I actually noticed that too in my example. I'll get it to in a sec, but it does take a little bit of reflection after the fact to realize that that's what's happening. Yeah. And I like it that you said it that way. And I think that's how I practiced it because what I started to do was notice a pattern. Um, 
you know, of times when I felt this way. And so it made me go back and say, hmm, I wonder if something's going on here because I'm not reacting to the situation that keeps coming up in the way that I would like to. So I wonder if maybe there is a secondary emotion going on. Hmm. And so that could be one strategy for those of you listening. Um, so, you know, essentially the situation that occurs more often than I would like to admit. Um, I am a bit clumsy in the kitchen. I love to cook and I oftentimes will find that when I get stressed out, um, you know, my kitchen's kind of small and it, it gets hot and I'm kind of bumping into things. And sometimes there can I'll, be a lot going on when it's, when you're cooking, like there's like things you're checking on multiple things. It's yeah, it gets hectic in there. Exactly. And so sometimes I'll often find that as a result of that, and it's maybe kind of like being a little bit emotionally dysregulated leads me to, you know, drop pans, which makes me more dysregulated, which then makes me not check on something, which then makes something burn, you know, <laughs> it's this concept, concept of unrelenting crises, which is an important DBT concept that we'll get to at some point where sort of like being dysregulated creates further problems, which then makes you more dysregulated. But anyway, um, so I sometimes notice that when I you know, drop a pan or burn myself or something happens and my boyfriend, you know, comes over and tries to help or says something, I will immediately snap and I'll start to feel, or I'll think I'm feeling anger. And, you know, maybe I'll feel like, I'll say like, oh, stop criticizing me. Right. Which sounds like anger. And actually what I'm realizing is that it's shame. Mm. That's interesting. Wow. And was this the first time that you made that distinction? Yeah, I think so. And it actually came from the word criticized. I said that the other night. I said, I feel criticized. And what I realized is that he was not criticizing me at all. I just felt criticized. And mm. so it was like I it was like the wheels started turning and I noticed this process of, okay, when I drop the pan, what I'm actually feeling is some immediate experience of shame, some thoughts about why did I do this again? I can't handle this. And it really quickly, you know, because that's an uncomfortable feeling to experience. And for whatever reason in my life, I must've learned that instead of actually just feeling the shame, it was more adaptive or more, you know, rewarded by my environment to just kind of express anger. Maybe that got the response that I was looking for. Mm -hmm. And I feel like, especially because somebody else is watching you when you're, when you're doing something that's causing you to feel shame. And like we talked about last week, shame is one of those emotions that makes you want to hide the action that caused it. Mm, yeah. <laughs> and when you're being watched doing that thing, it, it makes sense why that anger would be sparked pretty quickly as a kind of way to defend yourself from that feeling of shame. Yeah. Yeah. That makes so much sense. Yeah. So I think what I'm, what I wish I could say I had already started doing, what I will start doing in the future when I'm having one of those, um, you know, frenzied moments in the kitchen and then I drop something is just to kind of slow down, breathe, notice the shame, and then maybe try to regulate it through one of the skills that we will teach you in the coming weeks. Okay. Well, yeah, I'm excited to hear if you do try to, now that you kind of have a better sense of what your playbook is, you might notice it more easily in the moment. 
And if that's the case, and then you can kind of breathe and just allow yourself to feel that shame. I'm curious to hear if things will go differently next time, you know, yeah. you inevitably burn yourself or drop something and he comes in and tries to help. Mm-hmm, exactly. Yeah. How about you? How, how did your practice go? Um, my practice, I had a similar experience actually of not realizing that I was having a secondary emotion until well after the situation had ended. Mm. So, um, I, I just, like I mentioned last week, I started a new job recently and I was given a work laptop. And so I've been working remotely, obviously. So I went in to get the laptop, they set it up, came home and it didn't work. So then I was like, okay, got to go back. So mm-hmm. I went back to get it fixed. Um, and I was there yesterday. And when I got there, we had an appointment at a certain time. I had a really, really busy day. So I was already like kind of stressed out to begin with. Mm-hmm. And the um, guy I was supposed to be meeting with got there late. He started talking to me about like totally non-computer related things that was mm. just taking up like a long time, like talking about music and pizza and like just all these random things. Um, I can feel my blood starting to boil as you're telling me this story. (laughs) Yeah. And like under other, if I was in a different mood, like, and if it were a different situation, that would have been fine. But I, I wanted it to be like, I just need to get in and out kind of a Mm -hmm. thing. Um, And basically the, the whole situation ended up just taking like so much longer than it needed to. And as I was sitting there with him and he was, you know, talking to me about partying or something I do I know we really talked about a lot of different things I noticed <laughs> I noticed myself like I, I noticed this moment where I had like a pang of anger but then I like pushed it down so quickly um yeah. like I've talked about before that's kind of just been my learned experience of how to deal with the feeling of anger yeah and then it quickly turned into misery which was my secondary emotion so that was expressed by like my eyes were kind of just like glazed over. I was pretty much zoning out when he was talking to me, like not really listening, giving really, you know, one word answers kind of a thing. Yeah. And I didn't realize that I even was feeling anger. Like now looking back, I'm like, yeah, of course I was angry. Um, but in the moment I didn't, I didn't realize that. Yeah. And how might it have been helpful if you had realized that, that, you know, the primary emotion was anger? I feel like there's something that happens when you like really avoid or push down an emotion. Mm-hmm. Like the fact that I didn't feel that I didn't allow myself to feel that anger at all um, made me feel miserable for most of the rest of the day, actually. Yeah. And I kind of wonder like if I had just acknowledged the anger, made space for it, like, like not acted on it. Cause that wouldn't have been effective if I just started yelling at the guy. But you know, if I had just like acknowledged I was feeling that way, like maybe that would have been more helpful in allowing me to move on from that emotion more quickly. Yeah, it's kind of like what we talked about last week with why it's important to identify primary versus secondary emotions because if you're starting from the wrong point, then you're not actually going to make yourself feel better and mm-hmm. make the situation better because you're solving the wrong problem. Yeah, that's a great like, point. You don't want to solve for misery if you're not actually feeling miserable if what you're really feeling is anger. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, you're right. And yeah, that's exactly what we talked about last week and how, yeah, you need different things when you're feeling different ways. And so the way, what I need when I feel anger, um, if I had paid attention to that, I might've been able to help soothe myself a little bit more easily. Yeah. You know, it's, it's interesting. I am noticing something in both of the examples that we gave 
which is that we both sort of described problems that a lot of women I've heard from tend to experience. Mm -hmm. So like in my example, you know, women kind of being hard on themselves related to household tasks and not quite, um, not quite wanting to experience that or admit that. And then for your example, you know, women sort of being taught not to express anger at work. I say these, I, I, I point this out um, very much not wanting to reinforce gender stereotypes. That is not why I'm saying this. Um, but I think because it shows us that secondary emotions, you know, our, our emotional reactions to our emotions, which is what a secondary emotion is, really forms for a reason. And in this case, it could have something to do with kind of what society tells us to feel or not feel or to express or not express, right? Mm -hmm. Society tells women maybe not to express anger, particularly at work. Mm -hmm. um, so I just think it's important to be aware of that so that if you want to change that, um, you just know what the barriers are. Yeah, I'm, I'm glad that you pointed that out because there are so many factors, whether it's societal factors, family factors, like any kind of like past history um, factor can, can affect how we respond to emotions. Mm -hmm. And I think one of, the, one of the things that helps us regulate emotions is by like understanding that there are, even if we don't know all the reasons that we feel a certain way or respond a certain way, there are reasons. Mm -hmm. And to kind of validate that and acknowledge yes. that it's not our fault that we have these reactions. Mm -hmm. They have happened for reasons that we may or may not understand. So yeah. I'm glad that you pointed that out, that, that um, gender stereotypes can be one way that these reactions form. And it makes a lot of sense. Yeah, I'm, I'm so glad that you framed it as a way to validate our emotional experiences, whether we think they're primary emotions or secondary emotions. It almost doesn't matter. Just there, there doesn't have to be like self-blame involved. There's likely a reason why that's your reaction. And so then the question is just, okay, what, what do we do about it next? Which I think leads us really well into our skill of the week, which is checking the facts. So let's kind of zoom back out for a sec and go back to this concept of building your emotion regulation playbook, which as we've talked about many times is the point of all of this. Um, so we spent the last couple of weeks talking about the first step of emotion regulation, which is accurately identifying and labeling your emotion. And today we're gonna to be covering step two, which is check the facts. And so if you've ever done cognitive behavioral therapy or CBT, um, you have likely practice this skill in one way or another. So it's very, very similar to what you might do in a cognitive therapy. Yes, yeah, exactly. I think that's where both of us kind of first learned about some of these concepts and then um, learned about it, you know, as it applies to DBT through, through this skill. Mm -hmm. um, so, okay, we've been talking about the different components of emotion, right? So there's the prompting event, and then there's the interpretation of that event. And this skill is to help intervene at the sort of interpretations level. Mm -hmm. Again, just as a reminder, interpretations are the thoughts, beliefs, or assumptions that can immediately follow the prompting event and cause an intense emotional reaction, right? So getting cut off in traffic might be the prompting event. And then the interpretation, oh, that driver's out to get me, is what might cause that anger. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And checking the facts really allows us to 
determine whether our interpretations really do fit the facts of the situation. And you kind of need to know this in order to determine whether you should act on an emotion or not. Mm -hmm. So like, for example, you'd react really differently on the road, depending on whether your interpretation is that the other driver is out to get you, or if your interpretation is that that person's probably rushing because they're going to the hospital where their wife is giving birth. Yeah, that is a great example. And I've heard many stories of people driving on the wrong side of the road because they were rushing to a delivery room. Yeah, it would totally change your emotional response to that situation. Absolutely. Um, Just to give another example, um, you know, let's say you wave at someone across the street and they don't wave back. Oh, we've all done that. Yep. (laughs) We've all done that. So awkward. Uh-huh. And your mind makes the interpretation, oh, that person doesn't like me, right? And so if that's your interpretation, you are likely to feel hurt or sad or rejected. And, you know, who knows, maybe you might pull away from that person because you assume that they don't like you and they don't want to be your friend. Um, however, if you kind of check the facts on that interpretation and come to the realization that, you know, maybe they just didn't see you or... I don't know, I've definitely done this before. Maybe you waved to the wrong person, right? Maybe it wasn't actually your friend who you waved to. Yeah. Um, You know, if you can kind of go with that assumption or that interpretation, you're much less likely to avoid that friend in the future. And, you know, maybe you might address it head on. Like, hey, I just waved to you. Maybe you didn't see me. Let's, Let's get coffee sometime, something like that. Yes. Yeah, that's a great, that's a great point. So yeah, changing our beliefs and our assumptions to more accurately fit the facts of the situation can allow us, as you can see, to have a really different emotional reaction to the same exact situation. Yeah, exactly. So checking the facts helps us kind of challenge our initial assumptions, which again, changes our emotional reactions. And once you've changed that a little bit, you can be in maybe a better headspace to determine the most effective way to respond to the situation. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And talking about like being in a different headspace, if we kind of just take a step back here for a second, emotion regulation skills are needed when we are in emotion mind, which all of us who have been in emotion mind, which is everyone, knows <laughs> that being an emotion mind really clouds our ability to accurately evaluate situations and respond effectively. So when we're in emotion mind, we selectively attend to information that usually like proves whatever point your mind is trying to make. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it can really make us disregard some other facts about the situation that might change our interpretation. Yeah. Yeah, that is... That is so true. Um, It's like you just want to act on every urge when you're an emotion mind. And um, we can kind of think about the check the facts skill as sort of bringing in that reasonable mind perspective. It's that logical, reasonable, rational explanation for events um, to kind of balance out our initial emotion mind reactions and get closer to that synthesis, which is wise mind. So, you know, the idea that maybe you waved to the wrong person or your friend didn't see you. It's like, oh yeah, that's the, that's the sort of reasonable mind interpretation that might get you to a, to kind of a wise mind place. Mm -hmm. And so all of the skills that we're going to be going over in the next few weeks will help us get into wise mind so that we can make a decision about how to act effectively. Yeah, exactly. So it's not ignoring your emotion. It's just having a more balanced perspective. Mm -hmm. So 
we've talked in the last couple of weeks and even a little bit today about that idea of the action urge associated with an emotion. So that when you have, especially an intense emotion, there's some urge of either how to act or not act, like withdraw, right? And so um, in order to figure out whether or not to act on that urge, which can sometimes be hard to do, um, basically you need to figure out whether the emotion is justified given the facts of the situation. So mm -hmm. let's use an example to, to illustrate this. So imagine that you forget your friend's birthday and you feel guilty about that. You know, determining that a little guilt in that situation is justified, it, that's probably pretty effective. It would make you correctly act on the urge to reach out and say sorry, you know, which mm -hmm. would be effective for maintaining the relationship. Mm-hmm. Yep, I think that's a really good point. Um, it would not be effective if you convinced yourself that that wasn't something, you know, to feel guilty, to feel even a little guilty about. And then you might end up responding differently and kind of ignoring the fact that you missed that friend's birthday, which could cause a bigger issue in the mm -hmm. relationship. Mm -hmm. Exactly. Yeah, it's justified to feel a little guilty when you forget, you know, a milestone that you know is important to that friend in your relationship. Mm hmm so yeah, it might be, and it, it's probably clear by now that a lot of emotions and then the associated actions are set off by our thoughts and our interpretations about the events and not the actual events themselves, right? Like we talked about the example of, you know, somebody um, seeing your friend on the other side of the street, you wave to them, depending on your interpretation, you could have a completely different response to that. Now let's go through the steps of the check the facts skill kind of as DBT conceptualizes it. So let's, let's give a couple examples and we'll just go through each step and we'll kind of, you know, give each other some input on, on how to implement the scale. Okay. So I can start with an interpretation that I commonly make that causes me to feel, you know, different sorts of emotions that are unpleasant. Mm -hmm. <laughs> so, and I also think this is an example that probably a lot of people can relate to. Um, but when I'm, when I'm texting with someone and they don't text me back for a while, mm. sometimes the interpretation that my mind can make is that they're mad at me. I did something wrong. Um, or when I'm really dysregulated that they just like hate me, don't want to be my friend anymore. <laughs> like <laughs> yeah. kind of depends on like what mood I'm going into it with and what all the facts are. But yeah, that's definitely one that, um, where the interpretation can, can really affect how I feel. Yes, I think this is a widely relatable example. So great, let's get into it. So step one of Check the Facts is what we've been talking about at length for the last couple of weeks. What is the emotion I want to change? And again, um, we got to be really sure that we're, that we're accurately labeling the emotion and not a secondary emotion, not a different emotion, right? So what is, what is the emotion here? So I think it depends on the situation. Sometimes it's fear, but for this example, let's go with the feeling of shame because sometimes I think the feeling can be shame when um, the interpretation that I'm making is that like I said something or did something that made that person reject me. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I, I, I love that distinction. I think examining your thoughts is one way to kind of get clued into what the actual emotion is. And again, just as a really quick reminder, uh, using your mindfulness skills. So 
using those observe and describe skills to notice what's going on inside your body, as well as some of the thoughts that you're having to really hone in on, okay, yep, it's shame. Might be fear another time. Right now it's shame. And this is why, like, if you're having trouble figuring out what emotion you're experiencing, go back to episode seven. Mm-hmm. Um, or if you have the DBT skills book written by Marsha Linehan, um, you can review the emotion dictionary, which gives a really great layout of all of kind of the main emotions and um, all of the different components that are associated with each of them. Yes. And the reason that I'm stressing this so much, that both of us are stressing this, this so much is that if you need to accurately identify the emotion that you want to change in order to do the rest of the steps of what we're about to go through. Um, so to make this exercise worth it, you kind of, um, you want to, you want to make sure you're taking the time to accurately um, name the emotion first. Yes. Yeah. I'm glad that you, that you referenced the emotion dictionary in the DBT skills manual. It's super helpful resource that I personally refer to all the time. Mm-hmm. Um, okay. So we've identified the emotion of shame. That's step one. Step two, pretty simple. What is the event that prompted my emotion? Really important here though, to describe just the facts that you observe through your five senses, right? So mm-hmm. I don't want you to say that the prompting event was my friend ignored me because she hates me, right? Yep. That would not be just the facts. Those are my interpretations. Mm-hmm. Um, but so, it is easy to feel like those are the facts in the moment. Exactly. And this is why this is why those mindfulness skills, observing, describing, being careful not to use judgments is really important here. Um, because if you're, if you think that the facts are that your friend hates you, well, there's no way to check the facts on that because that's just a true statement to you. Mm-hmm. Yep. That's a great point. Yeah. So this step also really important. Um, I, I guess in my situation, the event prompting the emotion is that I texted a friend and it's been, let's say, 45 minutes and I haven't heard back yet. Okay, great. It's, you know, I'm just thinking as we go along, it's amazing how each of these seemingly simple steps can all serve to regulate your emotions. I, yeah. I would imagine that if I was doing this with a friend or a therapist or just by myself and I said, okay, step one, what's the emotion? Step two, what's the prompting event? And I went from, well, my friend didn't text me back because she hates me to, all right, no, no, no. Well, <laughs> just the facts here. It's been 45 minutes since I texted my friend and she hasn't responded yet. I feel like that would already make me feel calmer. Yeah. No, sometimes I'll get to this step and I just start laughing. Yeah. Because <laughs> exactly. it's exactly <laughs> like the event is so sometimes so separated from what my interpretation about it is that it's just like humorous how how far my mind has taken it out of the realm of what actually happened yeah it's it's a good kind of way to gain distance from from your thoughts um it really is okay so step one what's the emotion i want to change step two what's the prompting event step three let's just label those interpretations, thoughts, and assumptions. So what, what would that be in, in this situation? It might be that, um, you know, this person doesn't want to be my friend anymore, or um, I said something that made them mad at me, mm-hmm. things mm-hmm. like that. Mm-hmm. I like to think of this step as kind of like add-ons. I think that that was a phrase that I remember hearing first by Charlie Swenson, who's a 
really prominent DBT therapists. Um, and he describes like interpretations, thoughts, assumptions, all those types of things kind of clumps them into the category of add-ons. Mm -hmm. Anything we kind of like add on to the facts of the situation. Yeah, really helpful. And I, again, I feel like this could be a way to gain some distance, right? If you label it rather than my friend hates me, oh, I'm noticing I'm having the interpretation or the thought that my friend hates me. Again, kind of helps you gain some of that distance and maybe might actually make you start laughing and realizing that that's not accurate. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Yeah. Um, okay. So, but what if you're not at that point? Um, let's just kind of generate a couple of our alternatives. What else might be going on besides that your friend hates you and is really mad at you? Um, maybe they, maybe they lost their phone. <laughs> maybe their phone <laughs> fell in the toilet. <laughs> maybe they, maybe they even saw my text and were in the middle of doing something and wanted to wait till they actually had a second to give it a thoughtful response and so decided mm -hmm. to respond later. Mm-hmm. Yeah, those are all, those are all possibilities. Maybe they, their phone is off and didn't even go through. Mm -hmm. Maybe they're taking a break from technology because all, all we're doing, all of us are doing these days is being on screens all day. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Maybe they're having a really bad day and, you know, they are worried that if they engage with friends, you know, it'll just make them feel worse. Maybe we could do this all day, but I'll, I'll just throw out one more. <laughs> Maybe they're worried about something that they said that actually made you upset. Huh. Maybe they're avoiding you because they're going through their own emotional dysregulation. Yeah, yeah exactly. Okay. So this, I think, is the part of the skill that most people maybe who've done some CBT are familiar with, the kind of generating other possible you know, interpretations or reasons in order to kind of feel better or at least have some what we call cognitive flexibility, just kind of opening your mind to the idea that there might be other possibilities. Mm -hmm. um, how, let, let me ask you this, how did it feel to do that? It felt good. It mm -hmm. felt, it did feel like my brain was a little more, you know, flexible in terms of I could see that giving me a variety of different options for how I want to respond. Mm -hmm. um, like we were saying before, you know, like if you have that one interpretation, you're going to respond in one particular way yeah. versus if you can see a variety of different reasons or explanations for the other person's behavior, it opens up a different, a whole different realm of responses that you could have. Yeah. I agree with you and <laughs> putting in a little dialectical thinking here. Um, Stopping at this step, I have seen in my clinical experience, in my personal experience, just kind of stopping here at that alternative possibility step can be a little dangerous sometimes because in my, in my experience, it can lead to just ruminating nonstop about all the different possibilities, right? Well, is she mad at me or did her phone fall in the toilet or no, 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 it couldn't have mm -hmm. fallen in the toilet because, um, she would never do that. And well, she's she definitely mad at me. Yeah, exactly. She has her laptop so she can just get her messages there. Mm -hmm. what, what do you think about this? 
No, I think that's true. I think part of what's making this funny and, you know, we're doing this together. So it's a different experience when you're by yourself and you're going over. Such a good point. You know, and I'm also not upset about this actually right now, you know, like, but in the moment when you are actually dysregulated and you're by yourself and you're going through all the possibilities of why somebody may not be responding to you, I could easily see that sending you into kind of like a thought spiral where you're just going over and over and over about all the possibilities and you kind of get like stuck there almost. Yeah, I'm so glad you you mentioned that, that when you're feeling emotionally dysregulated, this can kind of make you spiral. Mm-hmm. And I th- I'm pretty sure we've talked about this in a previous episode. This is one of those times, this can be one of those times, doesn't have to be, but it can be one of those times where ruminating um, functions to kind of avoid feeling the emotion. So you might just sort of catch yourself, like all of a sudden 20 minutes have passed and you're just (laughs) ruminating and ruminating about all the different possibilities that could have happened with your friend and you just haven't gotten anywhere and you you feel just as lousy and nothing has been solved. You might feel like you're solving the problem, but you haven't actually. Mm-hmm. And I would have a sneaking suspicion in that situation that you're actually just avoiding the shame or whatever emotion you're experiencing. Yeah, for sure. I think the the constant like thinking, it's almost like you're trying to convince yourself out of mm-hmm. feeling a certain way. Like think your way out of it. Yeah. Think your way out of feeling shame or something. Um But maybe if we talk about the next few steps here, you can learn some other steps that you can take to actually feel the feeling and not avoid it. Yeah. Um, So we want to definitely identify those interpretations that you're having, because those will be important to know, like what stories your mind is making up about the situation, which may or may not be true. Mm And, and then you could generate some alternative possibilities. And you know what? Maybe you could stop there. Maybe you're a person for whom that skill works really well. And just by generating the alternatives, you know, you feel better and you're ready to move on. Great. Mm-hmm. And if you notice yourself, if you notice that turning into rumination, if you notice yourself kind of obsessing, still thinking about it, still being, still feeling dysregulated, then let's move on to the next step, which is... DBT calls it, am I assuming a threat? Um, And we, you know, in our words, we like to call it kind of thinking about the worst case scenario. Mm -hmm. I really like thinking about the worst case scenario because um, it kind of brings you right to the place that your mind is trying to avoid. Mm -hmm. Like It's kind of like a shortcut, like, okay, let's just think about the worst case scenario because once I go there, nothing could really be worse than that. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, exactly. It's like in this situation, I, you know, I would imagine the worst case scenario is something like, yep, my friend hates me, never wants to talk to me again. And therefore that makes me an undesirable person to be friends with. Yes, exactly. And I think allowing yourself to feel the emotions that go, come along with that worst case scenario in your mind is, is an important part of the step too. It's like, okay, like a lot, you don't want to get so sucked into it because again, still remembering that this is still, this is not a fact. It's just a possibility, Exactly. Um, but allowing yourself to, to kind of go there. Yeah. Um, 
allowing yourself to go there can help you actually move on quicker than if you're just um, avoiding going there and spending all your time ruminating about it instead. Because as we've talked about emotions, you know, emotions don't just go away if you try to suppress them. Um, we've, mm -hmm. all, we've all learned that the hard way. And um, this is just kind of exactly taking that shortcut saying, all right, and if my friend hates me and never wants to be friends with me again, okay. Um, exactly. Next step here, what's the catastrophe, right? So let's imagine the catastrophe really occurring. Let's imagine that your friend really hates you, never wants to be friends with you again, and that makes you an unlovable friend. Mm -hmm. What's, what's that? <laughs> what's that like? <laughs> Sounds pretty fun. <laughs> yeah, I think this is the most uncomfortable part of using this skill. Yeah. Um, is really kind of like thinking about the catastrophe and kind of want, and kind of asking yourself like, okay, like how bad would that really be? Like, is this something that I could deal with? Yeah. Um, yeah. I've used this skill many times and even when I go into but thinking like, ah, I can't handle this. Um, usually when you actually get down to it, it's like, okay, like as painful as it would be for some, that person, whoever it is not, you know, to not want to be friends with me, I, I wouldn't die because of that. You know, mm -hmm. I would mm -hmm. make another friend and yeah. I would, I would eventually move on from that. Yeah, I, I agree. I got to agree with you. I, have gotten a lot better, I think, over the years, particularly in recent years as a therapist, just kind of allowing myself to fully go there with the idea, the very real possibility that someone might be mad at me or might not like me. And I used to avoid that, you know, the feeling that would accompany that so intensely that it caused many more problems for me. And mm -hmm. once I learned to just kind of say, okay, yeah, possibility that they don't like me. It has reduced my suffering quite a bit. And the way to do it is just to kind of, just to kind of go there, just to expose yourself to that idea that someone might not like you or be mad at you and just feel whatever emotion accompanies that. I think sometimes our mind like stops at the place of like, okay, this person doesn't like me or I'm um, I think that this person is mad at me and then we're just not going to be friends anymore. That would be terrible. Um, but, but we, again, like we don't know that that's actually the case. So when mm -hmm. you really start to think about like, okay, this is the threat that I'm assuming here, going back to step four, um, the probability that that's actually the case is pretty low mm -hmm. um, in this, in this situation. Mm -hmm. um, and, and even if it was the case, like how could I actually cope with that? Yeah. And is there anything I could do other than just throw my hands up and say like, okay, well, I guess this person isn't my friend anymore. Mm -hmm. That's such an important step. Yeah. So the probability might be low and if it happened, I could deal with it. Right. Maybe, I don't know, it might look like, well, I can maybe problem solve if the person's mad at me. Um, I can do things to repair the relationship. The person doesn't want to be friends with me anymore. I might imagine myself moving on and spending time with other friends. Yep. Or if, if really it's just an, an interpretation in your head and you think like, and you really know like, okay, I really didn't say anything that could possibly warrant somebody being mad at me. And this really is just a worry in my mind. Maybe you just need to distract yourself for a little bit. Until you get the text back so that you don't work yourself up into a frenzy for nothing. Yeah, I think that's a really good point that a lot of these steps 
can and likely it would be effective if you practice them pretty quickly. Um, just take a second, right? What's the threat? What's the worst case scenario? And if it happens, what will I do? Just like think about it for a second or two. Don't spend the rest of the day on it because then what might happen is that then you might spend so much time ruminating, oh, what am I going to do? This person hates me. You know, maybe I could move on, but I don't, you know, then it's like that becomes the reality. And it's really important to remember that we don't know yet. You know, this, mm -hmm. this is just, this is just a possibility. Mm -hmm. Yeah, exactly. And then I think once you've kind of gone through those steps, the final step is just to ask yourself, does my emotion and or the intensity of my emotion actually fit the facts? Yeah. Yeah. So this is, this is an important distinction. Um, you know, this is sort of the final determination. In this, in this case, Molly, if your friend doesn't text you back and that's the only facts you have, do you think that shame fits the facts here? No, I've, I've, you know, had this thought a variety of times in my life and the person usually texts back, you mm -hmm. know, five minutes after I go through this thought process. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And that's good to keep in mind. Like think back to the other times when a friend hasn't texted back, likely it all worked out. Yeah, yeah exactly. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Okay. So, yeah, yeah I, don't, so I don't think so. Okay. So it might not fit the facts. However, I'm thinking back to that example we gave in the beginning of the episode with guilt and forgetting a friend's birthday. And we mm -hmm. said that guilt does fit the facts. However, do you think, Molly, that it fits the facts to feel so intensely guilty that, you know, you're totally distracted from work, you can't think about anything else, you're sobbing, you're just totally tortured over it? Do you think that fits the facts? No, definitely not. And I think that's a really important part of this step because I think often, often our emotions do fit the facts, you know, mm -hmm. like not always, like in this situation, no, but but oftentimes they do, but the, when the intensity actually doesn't fit the facts, that's a really, really important thing to know because it will depend, it will affect how you will eventually respond to the situation. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. So there's kind of two questions here. Does my emotion fit the facts? And if it does, does the intensity with which I am experiencing this emotion fit the facts of the situation? Yeah. And I think anger is also a good one to think about there too. Like mm -hmm. oftentimes like it is justified to be angry about something like my IT example, like, yeah, I, it is justified to be a little angry in that situation or frustrated at least. Um, but if I had like started yelling at the guy and made a whole scene, like the intensity of that actually doesn't fit the facts. Mm -hmm. um, so then I need to do something to regulate the emotion and bring it down a little bit. Yeah. I think that's a really important point, particularly when thinking about effectiveness because emotions are often justified given the situation and it would be ineffective to act on them. Mm -hmm. So this is one way to make that distinction. Exactly. Yeah. And in the coming weeks, we'll give you, um, this is like the first step or I guess the second step in the process of emotion regulation. And then in the coming weeks, we'll get into what to do once you do make the determination of whether your emotion fits the facts your emotion or its intensity fits facts. Yeah, exactly. So we found that check the facts works particularly well for certain emotions. Um, personally, I think it works really well for anger. I think it works well for shame. 
Mm -hmm. Yeah, this kind of reminds me of the example that we gave last week about my friend who knows someone who's a grandmother, um, whose grandson, you know, doesn't express love in the same way that he used to, and she feels really ashamed as a result. And so if she went through all the steps that we just talked about, you know, some alternatives that she could have generated would have been, or could have been, he's a toddler, you know, he's not a toddler anymore. He, at his age, doesn't really jump into people's arms anymore. You know, it actually has nothing to do with me. So I think mm-hmm. that's, that's a good example of a time when it's just kind of not really about you and checking the facts can be a way of kind of going through that exercise to get there. Yeah. And I think that the emotions that I've seen people struggle a little bit more to use this skill with are like anxiety, anxiety related emotions. Mm -hmm. Um, You know, I think like if we even just think about um, people who experience, who have OCD or maybe like some health anxiety, worrying about getting COVID, for example, um, going through these steps of, of um, this, this process of checking the facts might end up actually like causing more anxiety because you're focusing so much attention on, um, on the thoughts that you're experiencing and generating alternative interpretations isn't really going to help you very much when, um, when your mind is basically just going to continue to go in circles there. I'm so glad you brought that up. I think it's, it's feedback that we sometimes get um, from clients, particularly who experience a lot of anxiety and or have OCD. And I think I used to think, therefore, that this skill just maybe wasn't that helpful for those people as a way to regulate emotions. And I think the more that I talk about work through the skill, the more I realize that that's only one piece of it. The, the alternative possibility generation is only one piece of it. The emotional exposure piece of, okay, and what would I do if that happened? How would I manage? What skills would I use? Is a really important piece of it too that I think can be helpful for anyone. And so I'm actually excited to keep practicing the skill myself because I feel like I understand it in a different way now. Mm-hmm. So I think that's a really good point that that if the example that you're experience, that you're thinking about has more to do with anxiety, or if you are somebody who struggles with OCD, when you do practice this skill, focus a lot of your energy on the emotional exposure part of it, mm-hmm. of kind of like sitting with what the threat you're assuming is and what the catastrophe would be if that threat actually did occur. Exactly. Maybe don't spend as much time on the on generating possible alternatives because that can quickly turn into just obsessing or ruminating. Okay, so maybe you can give me some coaching. Yes, you're up (laughs) this week. We're bringing back the coaching. Yes, okay. Well, this is one that's kind of like an ongoing thing and to all my dog moms and dads out there. um, (laughs) I don't think you've brought up on the podcast yet about being a dog mom, have you? Oh, have I not? Oh my gosh. I feel like it's a very big part of your identity that I'm glad you're sharing with listeners. It is. It is. Yeah. yeah I have two dogs, Fiona and Wilson. Uh, and yeah, I have not, I'm trying to think of a non-judgmental way to say this about myself. I have not spent as much time as I would like training them. Okay. And so very, very non-judgmental way of framing that. I, I appreciate that. Thank you. Um, 
so I'll talk about Wilson specifically. So he's a rescue dog and he, he's a sweetheart. And sometimes he just gets really excited when he sees other, other dogs that he wants to play with. Mm-hmm. And he also can kind of bark when he gets nervous or like is startled. Mm-hmm. And so when I'm walking with him and maybe there's another dog that passes us and he'll kind of like pull me or like lunge at the other dog. Mm-hmm. And sometimes I feel like the other dog owners might give me a look, like I don't have great control over my dog or I didn't train him well enough or something like that. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then I start having interpretations or judgments towards myself that I should have trained him better, should have trained mm-hmm. him better. Mm-hmm. Um, or that I'm like irresp- an irresponsible dog mom for not training him better. Mm-hmm. Um, and the, these are kind of like the interpretations that lead me to feel shame. Okay. I think this is a great example and way to apply this skill. So let's just take a recent example of this, if you can apply that to, to kind of going through these steps. So, all right, we've identified, we've done step one, we've identified that the emotion is shame. Mm-hmm. I would imagine that you as a mindful DBT therapist um, have, have more practice quickly identifying your emotions. So, okay, I'll trust you on that one. Yeah. Um, well, I just want to say too, like, I didn't always know that was the emotion that I was experiencing, but I think I realized it when I noticed that my urge was to um, withdraw and like, mm-hmm. kind of like mm-hmm. avoid other people almost. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, that's a good tip off. off. Yeah. 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 Okay. That, I'm, yeah. I'm glad you gave that context. So the emotion is shame. The prompting event you mentioned is when you're, is when you passed another person and Wilson kind of pulled you toward kind of like almost took control and kind of started pulling your body. Is that, mm-hmm. that's the facts or that's the prompting event. Okay. Yeah. Embarked. Embarked. Uh, step three, your interpretations, thoughts and assumptions, maybe some judgments in there. I'm a bad dog mom. This is mm-hmm. my fault. Anything mm-hmm. else that I'm going to say? I didn't train them well enough. I'm irresponsible. I'm irresponsible. Okay. I could see why that would make you feel shame. Um, Okay. Any, any other possibilities here? Possibilities for what the other person might be thinking in that situation or yeah, because I guess you're feeling shame based on a perceived judgment about you. Is that correct? That other people might be thinking you're a bad dog mom and that's what's making mm-hmm. you feel shame? Mm-hmm. Yeah, okay. I do think it is related to that. Okay, so what might, what might the other person be thinking other than this person is irresponsible, this person didn't train her dogs well, this person, you know, is a bad dog mom? What, what, you know, what might be totally, you know, blue sky thinking here. Just name me anything. Okay. Maybe they think, oh my gosh, what a cute dog. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Maybe they think, wow, uh, she just made me look good. I'm glad that didn't happen to me. (laughs) Yeah. As you know, people often are thinking about themselves and not about the other person, right? That's true. That's true. Mm -hmm. Um, I've actually seen sometimes people will be like, oh, can we come say hi? Like, it's almost like they perceive his excitement as an invitation to play. Hmm. So maybe they think, what a friendly dog. Mm -hmm. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Okay. Cool. Um, They might think, like, oh, it must be hard for her, you know, having a dog that's that, like, 
hyper or something mm-hmm. like that. Yeah. Maybe they feel, maybe they feel less <laughs> toward you. <laughs> yeah. I think a lot of dog parents can relate to being pulled by your dogs and mm, you know, so reaction. Great. Yeah. So they can relate to it personally. That's, that's a good point. Okay. So those are some other possibilities. So now let's quickly just, you know, have you, have you go there in your mind? And I appreciate your willingness um, to do this on the podcast. Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> so what's the worst case scenario here? Oh, worst case scenario is that I, that I guess other people re- like it, that other people really do think that I guess everybody that I pass on the street is mm-hmm. thinking you know, wow, like you do not deserve to have a dog. You're mm-hmm. so, that's so not okay that you allow your dog to act like that. Mm-hmm. You're the worst dog mom that's ever lived. Mm-hmm. Okay. So now I just want you to sit there with that for a second and imagine that there is like a thought bubble coming out of that person's head that says Molly is the worst dog mom ever. I can't believe she's allowed to have dogs. Okay. Just for a second. Doesn't have to be long. Mm-hmm. Okay. And now I want you to tell me out loud what you would do if that were the case. If somehow you could read that person's mind and find out that that's what they were saying about you, thinking about you. Um my initial response was that I would feel kind of angry about that if someone really did Hmm. think that about me because there's a part of me that's like, no, I'm actually a really good dog mom, Hmm. you know? Mm -hmm. Uh, So I might kind of have the urge to like defend myself. Mm -hmm. I mean, that might not be the worst thing. That might actually be kind of effective to feel a little angry and feel defensive over your dog mom skills. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Okay. Yeah. I like that. What about just like going home and playing with your dogs and, you know, doing something comforting and just sort of knowing that that happened and moving on from it. Mm -hmm. Might it lead you to train your dogs differently? So in theory, you would think that it would. (laughs) 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 But I have been feeling this way (laughs) for a long time. (laughs) Okay. Well, I think actually this is going to carry us over into, um, the next couple weeks. I would love to bring this example up again because we can think about what to actually do about it. Yeah. No, this is such a great example of how like shame doesn't, shaming yourself and judging yourself doesn't actually work in terms of like changing your behavior. Yeah. Um, Because like, while I, in reality, don't think I'm a terrible dog mom, Mm -hmm. I also can acknowledge that I didn't put as much time to training him as I could. Right. Mm -hmm. Like, Mm -hmm. and, and despite like kind of beating myself up for that at certain points, like that, that hasn't actually led me to take any concrete action towards changing that. Yeah. Okay. So this leads us to the, to the very last step, just to kind of drive this point home. Do we think this emotion fits the facts? Do we think that shame is kind of, you know, appropriate given the facts of the situation that, you know, Wilson kind of dragged you forward across the street? I feel like maybe a little bit of shame is justified. Mm-hmm. 
Why? Um, Why do you think that? Because like we talked about last week, shame is an emotion that serves to um, like protect ourselves from doing something that is going to cause other people to reject you. Yeah. And when he acts like that, it probably makes other people not want to, except for like the rare person who interprets it as being like fun or friendly, you know, like Mm -hmm. it probably it is like something that could make someone want to keep their distance. Yeah. Um, Yeah. And I I guess, yeah. yeah. And I guess what you're saying is like, you often have the thought, oh, I wish I had trained him better. So I guess what you're saying is like, there was some, there is some control that you have over the situation. Mm -hmm. And so maybe it's justified to feel a little bit of shame. Like, yeah, I could have, I could have done something differently. Yeah. And really important point, does feeling so ashamed that you just want to withdraw and not, you know, totally avoid the situation, totally avoid other dogs and their parents on the street. And avoid training him. (laughs) And avoid training him, most importantly. Does that fit the facts? No, definitely not. Okay, why not? Because... I, there, I think I can recognize that there's a lot of things that I do as a dog mom that are really good. Like, you know, like Mm -hmm. there's a lot of ways that I am, you know, a really great dog mom. And just because I maybe haven't put as much time as I would have liked into training him specifically on how to walk on a leash, I've trained him to do other things. And I also do a lot of, you know, other like tasks and like, you know, take care of him. So, um, it's, it's just one piece of the, of the whole picture. Yeah. So you can feel a little bit of shame that you haven't done this particular thing that you could be doing. And that doesn't mean that you're a bad dog mom and that, you know, you, there's no hope for you and this dog. (laughs) (laughs) And I think it's also just kind of going back just to drive home the skill a little bit more. Like, it's also true that it's also possible that the other dog parents on the street had none of those thoughts about you. Oh yeah. It's definitely possible. <laughs> In fact, I might say likely, but I'm not, I'm not a dog parent, so I don't know. Um, uh-huh. So just, just to keep that in mind that that kind of parts, parts of the situation might be warranted or sort of fit the facts and other parts might not be. Yeah. I th- that's a good point. Yeah. Yeah. And I, I think this, I mean, through talking this out, I think I've seen that it, this, the shame has not only been, I don't think I realized this until now, but like that shame has not only been causing me to like avoid interacting with other dogs when we walk, um, but also probably partially avoiding the training because it does bring up feelings of shame in me when I try to start training him and I see how far we have to go still. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Okay. Well, I am, I am proud of you for this emotional exposure um, Thank you. <laughs> for talking this, for talking this example through. I think as we have talked about many times now, shame is um, difficult to experience, uh, particularly willingly and, and publicly and publicly. And um, I hope that we helped kind of break it down so that it doesn't feel as intense and importantly for the next couple of weeks it doesn't just stop there so the emotion regulation playbook does not just stop at does this fit the facts we then are going to help you figure out what to do about it yeah i'm excited to continue this 
example into the coming weeks and see how I can apply other skills to, you know, continue to regulate emotions around this and hopefully change some of my behaviors too. Yeah. Great. Okay. So just as a, as a little recap, we today talked about checking the facts, which is the second step in regulating your emotions after you've identified accurately what the emotion is. Checking the facts help, helps you, you know, most importantly, figure out if it would be effective to act on that action urge or not. And it can also in itself serve to, you know, kind of make you feel better or change the way you're feeling um, through either kind of identifying some possible alternatives to the interpretation that you're making and or be sort of an emotional exposure so that you can just kind of go there, um, feel the emotion and then move on. Mm -hmm. So yeah, so for some people and for some situations, this skill might be the final step in your process of regulating an emotion. And for others, it might be the second step out of, or you know, the first or second step out of, out of many. So we mm -hmm. will get into more of that next week. And I think this week you and I can both practice checking the facts on our own interpretations and, and we can share those with you next week. Yeah. And I think this is something that comes up a lot, you know, basically whenever we feel an, an emotion, particularly an intense one, it's worth, it's worth at least taking just a second to check the facts. So I'm sure we'll have lots of examples for you. Um, and until next week, stay skillful, everyone.